When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Yes. Firing on all cylinders. I at least two. First episode of the year 2021. Oh, someone's excited. Am I? <laughs> I don't know. Are you? I don't know. <laughs> I might be. I don't know. We did a really. We're doing a really big thing, and it's scary. It, it's so. it's way more overwhelming than I initially thought. Which is funny because people now, when I say it to them, they're like, "Yeah, how? What? What did you expect? Yeah, yeah. But hey, we had a shit year last year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a shit year this year. At least for a little bit. So why don't we just, you know, fuck ourselves over at the beginning? <laughs> Let's just go <laughs> in. No. Expectations entirely yeah. way too high. Go in just flaccid dicks of flailing and, <laughs> you know, expose everyone to the garlic knot of a dick. That is 2021. Yeah. Right off the bat. We're not. We're, we're, I'm seeing your bullshit 2021. <laughs> exactly. We're calling you out. We're calling you out. And that's why we're gonna have a little bit of a series. Yeah. We're, we're to gonna start off your year with. Thoroughly blow our loads early. Yeah. So you have zero expectations yeah. of us. We want to make sure you never expect anything from us We're again. teaching you a lesson right now. Oh. I didn't even know we were teaching them a lesson. No. No, I want to know what the lesson is. We're going to have to. All right. Maybe at the end of this, we will figure it out. Or, but anyway. Yeah. Who, who are we? Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Hi. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music and the tasty little niblets we will be discussing. Tasty nugs. Of- we got some tasty nugs for a while. A tasty nug that I thought might last a month may last a month and a half. Yep. We are going to be talking about each Beatle individually. Yes. Not their career in the Beatles. We are skipping over their time in the Beatles. 
For the most part. Yeah, I mean... If there's important things, we'll talk about them. Right. But for the most part, we want to get to know the beetle outside of the beetle. We want to know what's underneath that exoskeleton exactly. of a beetle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, and we're your hosts. I'm Aggie. I'm Ashley. And we're back. New year. Same bullshit. Yeah. We ain't changing. Second verse. Same as, Same the, as the 20th? Fucking <laughs> Same as the 20th. Yep. Same as the 37th. Guys, we're point. still going to get drunk. We're still going to swear a lot. And if you don't like those things, I'm sorry. Fair warning. Uh, you you know, know what? I guess now fair warning. Yeah. We're going to swear a lot and we're going to have tangents and we're going to laugh and our laughs are obnoxious. And I'm, if you can't follow the storyline, well, you know what? Fuck you. I got nothing for you. Sorry. We <laughs> warned you. <laughs> yeah. You've been warned. Yes. So... <laughs> Uh, we had this idea. We're like, let's talk about the Beatles individually. But yes, you are right yeah. because you can't completely gloss over the time as Beatles. Yeah, because it's, it's impossible. The thing that I've learned is that once a Beatle, always a fucking Beatle. Yeah, these but, people have been defined by the eight years of their lives in the Beatles. Yeah. But also, like, we can't cover each one through the Beatles because we would be repeating a lot of shit. Also, like. I don't want to spend an entire year on this. Exactly. How did the Beatles have so much shit? It was just like, no, just four people. Just four dudes. Like John alone. John alone. You can do a whole entire podcast on that man. Woof. Wouldn't want to, but oh boy. That is an uptaking to say the least. And I always wonder like, what is it about the Beatles? Why are we so fascinated with them? Because they were the first white boys to make it real big. So we have to, I don't know, stroke their dicks for them. I don't know. Well, two of them are dead and I'm not I'm not <laughs> digging them up. Also, we tell offensive jokes, so uh, you've been warned again. Also, lots of dick jokes. So many dick jokes. Yeah. Buckle There's up. at least like four and we're in this, we're not even five minutes in, so. No, no, that's, that's pretty much par for the course. <laughs> also, par for the course is us drinking. Yeah. And this week... Um, I grabbed myself actually a couple weeks ago. I got to go on a nice little trip to Chassamusets, mm. and if I was like, "Well, I'm gonna be in Chassamusets, I might as well go to Jack's Abbey," which love Jack's Abbey, probably one of the best things to come out of Chassamusets. Yeah, they're wonderful. But yes, I grabbed a whole bunch of beers. But tonight, I am drinking Raz Hibby. It's their tart ale with raspberry and hibiscus. It's nice. And I feel like Raz Hibby is like something Ringo would say. Like, oh, peace and love, Raz Hibby. Sure. Peace and love. He is the weird one. Also, we do a lot of really bad accents. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. I do a lot of bad accents. I do terrible accents, so I'm not going to get Yeah, get pumped for all that jazz. Yeah. Yes. we. I have discovered even Ringo was a slog of notes. Hot mess of a man? Uh, yes. They were all f- hot messes. Spoiler alert. All the Beatles, we will discover, were hot messes. Man, oh man. Yeah. This yeah. is going to get heavy, but... I'm man o' war. <laughs> heavy like man o' war, yes. Yeah. Instead of man o' man, can we just start saying man o' oh, war? Man o' war. Oh, man o' war. <laughs> oh, cod pieces. Oh, Loin cloths. Mm. Yeah, that sounds mm. great. Bare chest. Ugh. Ooh. Are they not Man good? war. <laughs> <laughs> how how does one describe man war? Cod pieces. Cod pieces. <laughs> Bare chest. And loincloths. There you go. And metal. 
Now, can you imagine if the members of the Beatles were the members of Man of War? <laughs> oh, I wish. Oh, I actually know nothing of Man of War. Google it. All right. Guys, take a second to Google <laughs> Man of War. Second. Oh, now I'm probably going to have you guys Googling a lot of shit by the end of this yeah. episode. And this is a this is gonna be a long one and a doozy, but I do believe I can do Ringo in one episode. Nice. So well, well let's get into it then. Let's just just shove our excited dicks right into this electrical <laughs> socket. <laughs> okay. All right then. Yes. So also before I start, let me cite my sources. I used a book. I used a book. I actually read it. No, I used it and I read it. Uh, it is called- you just used it to make the other books jealous. <laughs> oh my god! No, trust me, the Paul book makes the Ringo book very jealous. <laughs> they were always comparing pages. Always. Oh, and fonts. Helvetica. <laughs> I can only afford Comic Sans. Please, well, got one and a half spacing. I've only got one. <laughs> Actually, that's not a that's not a bad Liverpool accent. Thank you. You've been practicing. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of John. He is very easily imitatable. Yes. So just talk like John, and you can kind of get that. You can get that cadence down. <laughs> I guess I could try to talk like Ringo. There you go. Very good. Okay, <laughs> we're right. gonna nail this. We got this, guys. Well, okay, what was the book? Right. So the book is called Ringo with a little help by Michael Seth Starr. Now, don't get it twisted, bitches. They are not related. In fact, at the beginning of the book, Michael Seth Starr says, we are not related. I was born with the last name Starr. Does he have two R's or one? Two. Oh, look Mm, at him. I know. Destiny. He's like, I guess I have to write a book about Ringo now. (laughs) I guess I have to. All right. Here we go. Dad failed on that. Guess I got to pick up where he fucked off. (laughs) Fucking rad dad, man. (laughs) Right, All right. Anyway, it. let's get yeah, yeah. We right, 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 right. So yes, so that was my book, and actually, I do highly suggest it. It's a pretty quick read, uh, well written, interesting. Um, I got through it pretty quick and easy. So cool. I would highly suggest it if you want more detail on the things Any that I talk about. Book about the Beatles that is quick and easy to get through is a feat in and of itself. I don't know. The Ringo book doesn't seem like a big, you know, trial to me. I'm just gonna practice my fucking Ringo. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Okay. Let's start off this bitches. Ringo Starr, the drummer, many of whom consider to be a footnote in the Beatles' legacy. Some see him as a hanger-on, that he didn't play any kind of important role in the band. Others downright claim he is a terrible drummer who <gasps> lucked into being a member of the biggest rock band in the world. Sacre bleu! I know. No. I know. I don't like it either. I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna wait to the end to tell you that that is absolute malarkey. Total bullshit. Absolutely. If you ask me, there never would have even been a Beatles without Ringo. Hmm. I I heard like so many audible gasps right there. <laughs> but that's because this dude is one of the most amiable, flexible, charismatic humans to have walked this fucking planet, and no one else would have put up with the other three's bullshit for nearly as much oh. time as Ringo did. Yeah. You needed a Ringo. He definitely, like, carried a garbage can full of other Beatles shit yep. on his back for the entirety of the Beatles' existence. Oh, John, are you fighting with Paul again about writing a song? I put it in the trash. Good thing I brought my poopa scoopa. Uh. <laughs> 
put it in the rubbish, I'll carry it away. <laughs> he sounds so sad. <laughs> and he wasn't, though. He was the opposite of sad. Ringo is a rarity. His play style fit in solid with the Beatles sound, and he was genuinely just happy to be doing something he loved with his mates. You're not going to find a lot of this in the music biz. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that you found a dude who was like, no, nah, that's cool. I'm here. I'm chilling. In in a genre of music where drummers are very difficult to come by and yet somehow extremely replaceable, yeah, it's very hard to find one that will stick with you for the entirety of your band's career. Or not overdose on something. Mm-hmm. Before and after the Beatles, he was making his own way in music. It helped to be a well-liked person among musicians and a real passion for his art. I will, of course, address the whole, is he a good drummer thing a little down the road. I'll get there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hold on to your panties. But let's start at the beginning, yeah? Because not only was his childhood an interesting one, but it was also what created the man behind the Beatles drum set. I made the mistake of just going... I, I wanted to know something specific about Ringo when I was doing research for my own uh episode that will be next week. Yes. And I started going down the wormhole of his childhood and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, there's things. I know I need to stop reading. <laughs> I want to be surprised Spoilers. tomorrow. <laughs> Spoilers. No. Uh, yeah, no, he actually had a really fucking wacky ass childhood. <laughs> yep. It was unseasonably warm on the night of July 7th, 1940, when Elsie Starkey gave birth to her son, Richard. Named after his father, Richard was born into a world of chaos and devastation, (laughs) as Liverpool would see its own share of Hitler's bomb blitzes for the next several years. Yes. England wasn't doing great during World War II. Kind of a a sketchy time to be born. Mm, Or a sketchy time to be pregnant. Yeah. You're going to get pregnant during World War II? Eh, choices. They lived in their section of Liverpool known as, I'm not kidding, Dingle. (laughs) Dickie Starkey from Dingle. (laughs) I actually was like, this is where I'm going to give Ashley a minute to laugh. (laughs) Yes. Who does? Why? Guys, why did you name it Dingle? It was, it was, yeah. (laughs) It was a place. I bet they thought it was terribly clever back then. Oh, I'm sure. The Dingle. <laughs> well, I was raised well, I'm in off the to Dingle. The, I'm off to the Dingle. See you later. I want to open a pub and call it the Dingle. <laughs> and play nothing but Beatles and Ringo music. Just Ringo soloing for like <sighs> 10 hours straight. You're welcome, everyone. It's going to be the hottest bar in Troy. You know it. So great. Richard was a baker, and Elsie brought in some extra pounds by cleaning homes. Even though Dingle was known as one of the toughest sections of the city. Well, why did you name it Dingle? Well, wait for it. Okay. Their lives were no different than any other Liverpudlian. <laughs> Liverpudlian? That is what you call no, you someone don't. from Liverpool. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah. You don't do that. You do, <laughs> you do though. It was in the book. I Googled it just to be sure. I'm like, is this real? Did this author make up Liverpudlian? Because I'm going to kill Ashley in the first 10 minutes of this episode. Done. This is all I need to know. Bunch of Liverpudlians from Dingle. 
<laughs> that's my new like life I, moniker. Yeah. Just like when somebody says something ridiculous, I'm just gonna say, "Are you a Liverpudlian from Dingle?" <laughs> it's not even an insult. It's just somebody who's really funny. I like that though. I can I can fucks with this. <laughs> well, Liverpool wasn't known for its wealthy citizens, and after the war, there wasn't much to do, especially for the kids. Who then began to just play in old blown apart buildings. I was just going to say, are they just playing in the rubble? Yes. <laughs> 100. They are just playing in the rubble of oh. bombed out buildings. Oh my God. England. Like growing up, these kids might have died. And when they didn't die, they played in the place where a bunch of other people died. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But to make a living, it was hard labor for everybody around. Immediately, their son was given the nickname Lil Richie. So as to differentiate for him from his father, Big Richie. Aw. Very clever. And not too long after, in 1943, Big Richie pulled a rad dad and walked out on his family, basically never having contact with them again for the rest of his life. Cool. Rad dad. The raddest of dads. Mm Mm-hmm. Despite their son's D-bag move, Richie's paternal grandparents stepped up and helped look after him when Elsie needed to go out and look for more work because she had to now take care of her and her son. Yep. Yeah. Richie attended elementary school at St. Silas, where his first teacher, Enid Williams, claims to have given him his first drum. Because like any class of children, there's some form of music time and the kids are given percussion instruments to mess around with. Mm Mm-hmm. And she says she gave him a drum. Of course she would say that. Right? And whether or not that's true, I don't think you get to use the claim to fame that you helped Ringo Starr become a drummer. Because really, (laughs) he didn't give a shit about music until his teens. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, there's that. What probably concerned him a lot more was the fact that he was constantly sick. Ricky had many... He kind of looks like a sickly... He was a sickly kid. He was a sickly kid. Yeah. He was the kid that was always like... Shoulders hunched, going, (coughs) I've got the black long paw. (laughs) Richie had many colds and fevers that kept him out of school. His mother really coddled him, and so did the rest of his family. But nothing prepared them for the day he was in excruciating pain and needed to be rushed to the hospital. Oh, no. He was having severe abdominal pains that were determined to be a burst appendix. Oh. Yeah. They put him under for surgery but we're not optimistic about his chances. I mean, that's kind of like a death sentence back then. <laughs> Surgery in the 40s? You're going to die, kid. <laughs> You're not going to make it. Take a look at these gams. <laughs> Elsie was told on a few occasions that her son would not make it through the night. But make it through the night he did. It wasn't an easy-peasy road to recovery, though. He was in and out of consciousness for nearly 10 weeks. Jesus. He skirted death, but not by much. This scary time warranted a visit from Rad Dad Richie, who stopped oh. by to see his son at one point and asked him what he wanted for his birthday. But for then you never to come back, Pa. Oh, that is not. I think he asked for a bike. And then he was just like, ah, no. Actually, I don't even think he asked for that. He was just like, can I get a bike? <laughs> but the best part was, like, his dad never even got him the things he asked for. He just left and never came back like, again. I just want a golden ticket to go to Charlie's chocolate factory. Dad, I just want a pack of smokes. Oh, I could go out and get you a pack of fucking smokes. I got a pack right here, kid. We're coming home. You want a fucking beer? Here's your beer. Oh, he needs a beer for the hospital. I'm seeing you in 50 years. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) 
But just when doctors were about to send Richie home, he made a small oopsie when he bent over to pick something up, split his stitches, and resulted him with another six months in the hospital. Sorry. Oopsie. 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 I just popped all the stitches out. I thought you were going to say he split his pants and was just real embarrassed. (laughs) Nope. Popped a stitch. And he stayed in the hospital for six more months. Kid had a lot of complications. Jesus Christ. Yeah. What did they suture him with? (laughs) That he bends over and his guts fall out. It's just origami cranes. (laughs) We'll just put these right here and hope it heals ya. (laughs) Don't bend over. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> Oopsie. <sighs> when that ordeal was all said and done, he basically missed an entire year of school and was behind all of his classmates. Richie but that was... made him the cool older kid. I don't know how school worked, but maybe. 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 Yeah. But Richie was smaller than most of the other boys. Oh. Not particularly a scholar. So in order to pro- avoid becoming a social pariah... He became a bit of a class clown, using his sharp wit and dry sense of humor to amuse his classmates and make friends. I thought you were going to say that they faked his age and made him a year (laughs) younger than he actually was. No. But no, he developed a personality that's really good. I'd rather have that for him. Like, you would think, like, an only child that gets spoiled by his parents would be a piece of shit, or his family would be a piece of shit, but because of these shitty things... He's like, well, I have to be a nice person yeah. and I have to, like, have a personality. Yeah. And all the kids called him Lazarus because they said he rose from the dead. So, uh, like, now he looks cool. That's kind of fucking awesome. Right? Okay. This kid comes back to school. He's like, I'm fucking Lazarus. I'm back from the dead, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to hell and back. Look at me now. <laughs> I tore my stitches. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> Well, this is where we start to see the winning personality that will help him throughout much of his life. An easygoing guy who just likes to laugh and do things he enjoys with his friends. That's nice. School was never going to be something Richie gave a hoot about. He was by no means unintelligent, but catching up wasn't easy, so he found himself a bit of a truant. Skipping school and hanging out with his friends was just what they did. Now, Richie wasn't one of those kids born with the love of music. For most of his childhood, he was fairly ignorant to it, though he did have small instances that might, you know, that would kind of contribute to a spark later down the road. Mm -hmm. He became a minor fan of jazz drummer Gene Krupa after hearing him play, and he also took to trying to catch rabbits in the park with his childhood friend Davy Patterson. He would play a tom-tom drum on top of a rabbit hole, and then his friend Davy would stand in another rabbit hole, and they thought they could chase the rabbits out of the hole by... That's awful. Yeah, it's awful, but also didn't fucking work. No. No. But he he enjoyed that act of banging on this makeshift tom-tom they had. So let me guess. So the, the, the big moment when he realized he really wanted to do music for a living that's like his passion and everything was when he saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> yes. Ashley, stop stealing my fucking thunder. Sorry. It's just like, it's so, it's everybody everybody's saw that. Story. It's, it's everybody's, everybody's story. It's everybody's story. Even Ringo Starr's story. I didn't really want to play the drums until I saw myself <laughs> with the band The Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And then I thought, I want to be a drummer. <laughs> You almost sound like JFK when you do this accent. (laughs) I do. You are sliding so into JFK on Clone High. (laughs) 
family had some touches of music here and there, with grandparents playing banjo and mandolin, and they had family gatherings that included sing-alongs, but none of this really enticed him. It's so English. Yeah, it's just Saturday nights, we all gonna get drunk and sing some fucking songs we like. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, and, sing uh, all the songs that we like. <laughs> I like that song. <laughs> oh my God. When his mother started seeing a man named Harry Graves, he would play a big part in starting Richie's interest. He played big band records for him, and he was into it. Like, Richie was like, oh, this is kind of cool. All right. Nice. And a little curiosity started to grow. And eventually, something caught his eye that put the music bug in him and wouldn't let go. It was when he saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> I knew it. I called no. it. No, no. In the window of a music store, amidst the guitars and accordions, was a drum. And he just had to have it. But at 26 pounds, that's a pretty hefty price back then. They were like, mm, I can't afford that, honey. Oh, I thought... Oh. I'm like, pounds? I'm like, oh, it's heavy. This scrawny little kid can't haul it. Sorry. Can I should have said... <laughs> I'm going to say things in English terms. Like no, pound. you shouldn't have to say that. <laughs> I should know that. And also Liverpudlian. <laughs> Richie spent 10 years without a father figure. And then at the age of 13, his mother married Harry after making sure her son was okay with it. I mean, and he had Aww. no reason not to be. Even though he had no visible ill will towards his biological dad, he thought his mother deserved to be happy. She does. Right? And he really loved Harry, who he would eventually nickname his stepladder. Aww. Because Ringo's got that sense of humor. Fun fact. Uh, Graves is my grandmother's maiden name. Oh. Maybe I'm related. Yep. I don't think so. Nope, you're totally related. That, that's not a <laughs> exactly. common British yeah. name at all. I mean, it's not her real maiden name, but like... It's her, it was her stepfather's name. Oh. Harry was a great guy, very supportive to his new family, and brought in enough money in his line of work so that Elsie didn't really have to work, and he played an active role in his stepson's life. Well, thank God for Harry. Went from rad dad to rad dad. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, with the help of some tutoring from a family friend, Marie McGuire, Richie was nearly caught up to the other students, and things were going pretty awesome for everyone in the Starkey household. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's mm -hmm. when shit's going to come in and hit that fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Soon after Elsie and Harry wed, Richie was once again hospitalized. This time, it was because he had contracted a severe case of tuberculosis. What the fuck? Right? But it was really actually kind of common in Liverpool. Many claimed it was kind of a breeding ground for it. Yeah, TB was, like, rampant. Yeah. Then it was even pretty rampant in the United States. Yeah, like, TB was not uncommon. I mean, that's why all of the, that's why there were all of those, like, big old Adirondack retreat houses. Most of them were sanatoriums. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And the Catskills, too. And, okay. Because people thought that the mountain air was nice and crisp and would just float the TB away. <laughs> that's how that works, right? That's how diseases work. They're just yeah. like, nah, I'm going to go now. Bye. Yeah. You have this like congested. <laughs> float off in the breeze. I mean, I could see before really understanding how science works, like thinking, oh, okay, let's get out of the congested, dirty city air. It does help. And we'll a get bit. outside. But like once you have TB, you're not getting rid of the TB yeah. like that. Like thin mountain air isn't just going to carry it off out of your body. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's the wave of um, TB out of your body. <laughs> 
Yeah, TB is like, oh, they're like the fucking Mucinex thing. Oh. They're like, nah, I don't like it in here anymore. It's too clean. And they pa- pack literal bags and just hop out of your nose. That's Ew. how it works, right? Yes. That's how all diseases work. Yep. Actually, TB was super taboo, too, to have. So, so fucking stupid. I know, because everybody fucking had it. <laughs> yes. So the family just said he had pleurisy. What the fuck does that mean? It's just an inflammation of the um, lungs, which is what TB is. I... Actually, I think. I don't, you know what? Don't quote me on that. I'm not a doctor. All I know is when you get TB, you cough a little blood into a napkin and you die. <laughs> like, you know, all of the aristocracy in the Victorian yes. movies. Yes. That's what happens when you catch TB. You cough some yeah. blood into a napkin you know, and you're dead. You know, shit's going down when somebody coughs into a hanky. <laughs> And, and they, they look at it, it and, and they, they look at it and the the camera pans to it and you see red spots. And, and they're like, like <gasps> and they just have to hide it so no one knows they have TB. And then they just dramatically collapse during, you know, a fucking fancy dance where <laughs> women stand too close to the fire and their crinolines catch on fire. Oh and God. nobody's watching them collapse. It's just there's a woman on fire. <laughs> So they choose that moment to collapse because... Ooh, that's smart, though. Yeah, because everyone's trying to put the lady out. Well, unfortunately for Ringo, there were no fires. (laughs) No crinoline. So he just got sick and went to the hospital. No dramatically coughing into a hanky. Yeah, he didn't have that. He didn't get those luxuries. Nobody shipped him off to the Adirondacks, so... No, but he certainly spent some time in a sanatorium. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an insanely serious case. And Richie would be in Heswell's Children's Hospital for the next two years of his life. Dos. Also, fun fact, a sanatorium is where you went to get well from a virus or something like tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. A sanitarium is where you were crazy. Sanitarium is where you went if you were crazy. Which is why Metallica made the song Sanitarium, not Sanatorium. All I could think of whenever I saw the word sanatorium was sanatorium. Yep. <laughs> Let me be. Well, yes. So this poor kid spent two years in a fucking hospital. However, something good would come of this. It would be here where one of the most famous drummers in the world would be born. Oh. Wait, so he learned to drum while he was recovering from tuberculosis? Yes. Why has nobody made a fucking movie out of his life? Because because everyone's cause jerking Rango's themselves off not... to fucking John and Paul. Yeah. And Ugh. barely even George. Like some barely. people. George is like the cult classic <laughs> of the Beatles. Yeah. And Ringo just no one cares about. Anyway, his friend Marie gifted him a record of Alan Ainsworth's Bedtime for Drums to entertain him while he was in the hospital which motivated him to create his own way to pass the time during his hospital stay. I'm sure everyone was fucking delighted. Well, yes and no. <laughs> Along with a boy he befriended named Robert Coulthard, who played drums in the boys' brigade. Brigade. <laughs> brigade. You knew I was going to fuck that word up. <laughs> it's kind of hard. Brigade. Mm-hmm. Together, they used disposable items that they found around the ward to create drumsticks to hit basically anything around them. In order to play drums. A lot of times they're playing like on metal lockers and stuff. Good for them. They're innovative. They're creative. And you know what? With a little help from his friends, they started a bit of a hospital band and Richie taught himself drumming and rhythm. His passion for the instrument grew from there. And once he was discharged, he found himself only truly wanting to do one thing. 
And at this point, he was so far behind in school and frankly just really didn't give enough of a shit. He (laughs) saw no point in going back. Uh, Honestly, I don't blame him. Right? He was 15 and felt it would just be a better use of his time to get a job. Yeah. But this would prove difficult as he didn't finish school and possess no discernible skills. Yeah, but I feel like at this point in time, you didn't really need a full high school education even to get a job. Right. That can support yourself. But you did need, like, a little bit of something. Like, even trade. Yeah, or even just, like, a basic degree. Hey, he can drum. He can drum. That's all I want to do. Boy can drum. Boy can drum, can he? And so, Richie's life became one of bouncing around jobs here and there, finding that most were not a good fit. Again, he didn't really want to work. He wanted to bang bang on the drums all day. day. Thank you. You knew I was going there. But he would end up at a place called Henry Hunt and Son, where he helped manufacture equipment for schools, just for a few years. Like desks and and chalkboards, bullshit, erasers, and chalk, chalk. (laughs) pencils. And it was through coworkers he met here that he began to go to parties that would involve massive amounts of skiffle music, and that would even bleed into their breaks at work, where the boys would get together and play. Mm, what is skiffle? Skiffle music was huge in the 50s and 60s in the UK. Basically, skiffle, I would say, is the equivalent to a washtub band. Groups of people getting together with makeshift instruments playing sounds to- songs together. And sounds. This sounds is and songs. basically like a pub band. Yes, exactly. Okay. Its origins lie in African-American roots, unsurprisingly, of course. and was brought to England by Lonnie Dog- Donegan. Lonnie Donegan. <laughs> that Irish bastard. That British bastard? I don't know what he is. It sounds real Irish. It I does sound like he's probably Irish. I didn't go too deep into his history. But he was a big fucking deal. Like, not only was Richie a big fan, but lots of rockers who would become quite prominent in the following years were very much influenced by him. Basically any British blues band rocker. Still unable to afford a true drum kit, Richie MacGyvered one together. Built around a one-sided drum that he managed to buy for 30 shillings, he used items like tin containers for snares and little lids for cymbals, and just basically whatever he could find to make a, like, total DIY drum kit. He's just a noise percussionist. Yeah, and that works he for is, Skiffle, though. He is any modern noise percussionist. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's what Skiffle was, pretty much. Except... Skiffle actually made sense. Noise makes no fucking sense. Yeah. It is literal noise. I'm sorry. I don't like the noise movement. So you won't want to go see Stomp with me next month. Stomp is completely different. Oh. Completely different. All right. Well, I got some learning to do. After we're done with this, I will I will play for you some noise music. Oh. And then you'll see the difference. Okay. Noise makes no sense. <laughs> There's no rhythm. There's no rhythm. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just noise. Oh. Well, shit. Don't. Don't get it twisted. (laughs) Don't get it twisted. (laughs) It is just noise. All right. It is the most aptly named music genre out there. I didn't even know that was a thing. All right. I learned something today. (laughs) At age 18, he was surprised by his stepladder, Henry, one day. (laughs) I like stepladder. Yeah. He gifted him a real drum kit for Boxing Day. Oh, Yep. Now with a real drum kit, 
he would have to learn how to actually play the drums. He tried to take lessons, but had zero interest in learning how to read music, which I get it. So that was quickly nipped in the bud, and Richie took it upon himself to learn. He started a band with some of his mates called the Eddie Clayton Skiffle Group. And no one really knew how to play any other instruments. Like, Eddie knew a couple chords, and that was about it. So Richie had no choice but to get good at keeping time in order to get everyone on the same page. And soon enough, they were playing gigs around town. Well, good for them. Right? They they fucking godsmacked it. Yeah, and Skiffle was hot. So make it happen. Yeah. I did mention that Dingle was a tough part of town. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And looking tough was a necessity for survival amongst the men living the nightlife in the area. And so Richie and his friends began to dress like teddy boys and called themselves the Dingle Gang. I know, it was weird to say because I was trying not to laugh through that. Oh. We're just a bunch bunch of teddy boys in the Dingle Gang. I'm just picturing a bunch of the scrawniest, most lanky Englishmen with fucked up teeth you have ever seen in your life. Yeah. With pompadours and, like, short pants. I mean... That's pretty much, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, the teddy boy look is where guys kind of wear like these nice suits and trousers that were inspired by English dandies of the Edwardian period. Right. But also <laughs> like with with a weird like greaser the edge, hair. The pompadour hair. And then the sideburns. Yeah. And like sometimes like a leather-ish jacket. Yeah. Sometimes. Or like, like a tough looking jacket. Yeah. But. It's just there are bunch, pictures of Ringo dressed like a teddy boy. Bunch it's adorable. Of gangly English boys. <laughs> it's like, like I could beat you up. Yeah. Except they are also probably like all have switchblades on them. That's like the but only thing that actually would make them tough. They're probably that like weird kind of strong where they they only weigh <laughs> about like a hundred and ten pounds, but god damn it, are they s- weirdly strong? Because they can grapple. Yeah. It's all about the grapple man. Grapple man. <laughs> The Eddie Clayton Skiffle Group was not long for this world, though. And soon, Eddie got married, so they disbanded. And Richie went in and out of a couple other Skiffle Groups, but as 1958 turned to 1959, that music craze was kind of dying out. So he found himself looking for a change. And anyone in the music biz will tell you, local or global, it helps to be one of those people who hangs out around shows, mm-hmm. grab drinks with the other bands, and... Overall, just stay open to, you know, some jam sessions, making Overall, friends just, with everybody. Just ingratiate yourself into any little yeah. group that you can possibly find. Like, if you were at a show after you just played and there were a couple other bands, hang out afterwards. Yeah. Make friends with them. Yeah. Because every, you never a, know. Bring a six-pack. Share it. Right? Like, buy, buy somebody a drink or just, like, have a drink with one of the other bands. Or if it's the 50s, buy a carton of cigarettes and just hand them out. Yeah. Everybody will love you. Seriously. Just make friends. Yeah. You know, be sociable, make friends. Also, I mean, Richie's obviously an extrovert, so this was not that hard for him. (laughs) And again, Richie's friendly persona would help him time and time and time again in this world. He was asked by a friend of his, Alan Caldwell, who renamed himself Rory Storm to audition for his band The Hurricanes. That is a tongue twister. Rory Storm? Rory Storm? Rory Storm. I can barely say the name Rory. Rory. Rory? Rory. I can't. (laughs) I hate that name because I cannot say it. Rory. Rory Storm. There was a kid named Rory in my class. He sat behind me. 
Thank God I've never met anybody in real life named Rory. (laughs) They'd be like, say my name. You're like, I can't. I can't. (laughs) They needed someone to drum who was good and reliable. And they were actively going for more of a rock and roll sound. So that was kind of perfect for Richie. And despite his um, intimidating teddy boy look. Because apparently that was a thing. Uh, He was a shoo-in for the group and was welcomed with open arms. And now playing with a paying gig, Richie quit his job at Hunt and Sons and became a musician full time. Good for him. Right? They're like, yo, we can give you money. He's like, I'm in. All right, I guess I'm going to quit my real job. You son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) I, uh, you son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) Like the JFK accent is just so much more, it just comes to me so much more naturally than Ringo. <laughs> your su- your English accent turns into JFK. My British <laughs> accent turns into a Southern accent. Yeah, we're not good at this, and I'm really sorry, England. I my heritage is just screaming right now. I'm sorry, Liverpudlians. <laughs> sorry, all you puds out there. Oh, Liverpuds. No. Oh, that's internment endearment. I like that. <laughs> Some people looked in like he was crazy. His family are like, "What are you doing? You're quitting your job." But. This was the best decision he could have made. In no time at all, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes were the biggest band in Liverpool. High in demand, known by everybody, they were it. And it was here that Richie's most iconic change occurred. Rory wanted all the band members to have different names in their birth names to make them stand out. But what do you call Richie? Well, it turns out it wasn't that hard to come up with a name. He was already sometimes known as Rings because Homeboy loved wearing gems on his fingers. Like, he just had rings for days. That is hilarious. He's like, it just it looks real nice. Does it? I like it. <laughs> Does it Ringo from Dingle? Ringle Dingle. <laughs> Does it Ringle Dingle? Oh, Ringle Dingle. I love it. So, Rory took that and added some flair by calling him Ringo instead of just Rings. Oh. And Star was quite the obvious since his last name was Starkey. Right. So Ringo Starr was born. I mean, that is a pretty iconic name change. It really is. like, And one of the most fitting that I have ever seen. Seriously. Like, you know what? And like that was the thing. Here on out, he's Ringo Starr. He is no longer Richard Starkey. That, I feel like his personality probably always was Ringo Starr. Seriously. I think Rory just saw him and was like, you're a Ringo. You're a Ringo fucking star. And he's like, Mocha then. And he was like... You son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) His whole life has just been, you son of a bitch, I'm in. You son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) I can't. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Rory gave everyone a chance to really shine in the hurricanes, and Ringo was no different. During their sets, they would have Ringo Star Time, where he would be given a mic and sing songs like Boys by the Shirelles while smashing around on his drum kit. Cute. So cute. Real Phil Collins, ain't ya? He was. Definitely no uh, that Eagles guy. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Don Henley. Don Henley. Yeah, way better than... Don Henley had lovely hair in the 70s. That's all he had. But... Mm, that was it. That was it. That was it. In October 1960, the Hurricanes were asked to fly to Hamburg, Germany. You know, saying Hamburg, Germany out loud is really funny. <laughs> They were, you can say Hamburg instead. Is that how you say it? Hamburg. Or, yeah, Hamburg. 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 <laughs> if you want to be real American about it, you can just go all in and just be like, Hamburg. 
Hamburg. Well, they were to headline at Bruno Koschmeider's Kaiser Keller. You got it right. Kaiser Keller. Kaiser Keller. Mm -hmm. By now, British rock and roll bands were becoming the hot commodity in Germany. So they headed out for an eight-week engagement where they met another up-and-coming band from Liverpool, and they would be sharing the stage with them. They were the The Beatles. Beatles. At first, the Beatles were a bit weary of Ringo because he was sporting that fucking teddy boy look. (laughs) Everyone was so intimidated was, by Ringo. Honestly, like, when people talk, like, first met Ringo, he would be kind of quiet when he first meets you. So he'd, like, be all dressed like this teddy boy and be really quiet and be like, oh, I'm scared of him. And then two hours later, he's like, oh, everybody, let's play some pranks. And they're like, oh, he's fun. I relate very much to Ringo. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like people are the same way when they first meet yeah me. you're scary you're I'm a scary, scary lady <laughs> i don't I'm like don't fuck with her i mean still don't fuck with her but she's got a sense of humor but now she's funny <laughs> she likes pranks <laughs> but quickly he did put them at ease and he would actually go to their sets and request that they play a bit more of their bluesy numbers that they had because he's like i don't like that pop shit play some more blues <laughs> fuck that the crazy long hours and stranger in a strange land vibe just bonded the two bands especially Ringo to the Beatles, both of which enjoy hijinks and pranks, and they would find themselves going off together and getting into mischief among the streets of Germany. He also enjoyed jamming with the band as well and would take over whenever the original drummer, Pete Best, was nowhere to be found. Mm. When the residency was done, Rory Sturm and the Hurricanes went back to Liverpool, but they found competition to be a bit more fierce. There were more bands around, and it was just becoming more difficult for them to get gigs. I mean, they had some old standbys, but it it just wasn't what it was before. Mm -hmm. The band as a whole was no longer impressing the masses, but that outlook didn't stand for every member. By this time, Ringo was seen as the best drummer in Liverpool. And he may not have been the most amazingly technical drummer, but his ability to keep time combined with his unique playing style made him a hot commodity. See, Ringo's left-handed, but he learned to play on a right-handed drum. Wait, are you fucking kidding me? There's at least two lefties in the Beatles? Yeah. Because him and Paul. Him and Paul are both lefties. Were John and George lefties? I'm not 100%. I don't know. I don't think that they were. That's your domain. You can tell me later. I don't think that they were. But because he was learning on a right-handed drum, Mm -hmm. he, like, had to learn. He taught himself to do these crazy fills in order to properly play the instrument. Yeah. So that's why he looks so energetic and charismatic playing because he was just like fucking around with everything because he was probably he probably had to figure out a completely different way Mm -hmm. to do something that was very simple for a right-handed person to do i mean it's the very same with like Jimi hendrix we talked about that in that episode where his dad made him learn on a right-handed guitar because the devil and kurt cobain who Mm -hmm. had who would take right-handed guitars flip them upside down and restring them exactly because he couldn't find a left-handed guitar that he liked there you go see Hmm. lefties you know what i'll give it to you y'all are in you you're ingenuitive and what's the word I'm looking for? We're innovative. Innovative. That's a good word, too. <laughs> anyway. And this may have contributed to why he was growing pretty restless with his current band situation. He was hurting with the lack of performing and thought maybe he should try something new. And so when British rocker Tony Sheridan asked him to come back to Hamburg to play with his band, he's like, right, I'm bored. I'm on board with it. Hamburg? Hamburg. Hamburg? Is that how you say it? Hamburg. Hamburg. 
Hamburg. You know, hamburger. Uh, now I'm hungry. <laughs> Though that was also short-lived because he found that Tony was not a super fun guy to work with. He would change songs mid-tune and then get into fights with audience members, and he was just not about that life, so he went back to Rory and the Hurricanes. <laughs> but that also didn't last long either, because he's like, I don't want to do this. It's not like this time away changed the downward trajectory of the Hurricanes. Like, they still weren't, like, getting a ton of gigs. He was slowly getting offers from other bands to co- to go and play for them. And it was tempting, because not only were the opportunities exciting... But the pay was kind of tempting there, too. Yeah. And it ended up being one deal that broke Ringo's ties to Rory. One day, he got a call from Beatles manager, Brian Epstein, who offered him 25 pounds a week to come and play drums for them. That's kind of a lot. That's a good number. Because I think at best, Rory Storm, he was making somewhere between 16 to 20. And 20 was, like, on a good day. Yeah. So his bandmates really couldn't blame him. They said, all right, go do it. Beatles also had a recording contract and they had gigs lined up. They had, like, they were going somewhere. And they're like, that was security. Yeah. They couldn't hold him back. Nah. I can't hold back old Ringo. You can't. Ringle dingle. <laughs> ringle dingle him. Ringle dingle him. You're not going to razzle dazzle him. You're going to ringle dingle him. Oh my God. That's going to be my new thing. <laughs> You're gonna be like you're just you're just a dingle from liver or you're a liver pudlian from dingle, and I'm gonna be like I'm gonna wrangle dingle them. I won't razzle dazzle you, but I will wrangle dingle you. I will wrangle dingle you all day. Yeah. And there we have it. The next eight years would define his life forever. But we're not going there today. I'm not gonna talk about the next eight years. I mean, not really. However, I do want to take this moment where I bring up the great debate: Is Ringo a good drummer? Right. Yes. Because many people think he is not. You'd think being a member of the biggest band in the world would give you some clout. But not Ringo. The butt of every Beatle joke and completely looked over by the general public. Because he wrote a fucking song called Octopus's Garden. It was like, teehee, BT dubs. George helped him write a majority of that song. I'm gonna say, like, how many... (laughs) Paul wrote simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Right? And nobody gives him guff for that. And everyone's like, no, nah, this is a great Christmas song. I'm I mean, like, even even us. I'm like, it is. I mean, it, it's fun. It, it's stupid. It's a good Christmas song because I can laugh hysterically at it. And it's about witchcraft. And it totally is about <laughs> witchcraft, which gives me a little bit more respect for Paul McCartney. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see about that in a couple weeks. But yeah, a lot of people overlook Ringo because he wasn't one of the main songwriters and... You know, they're like, but there was a good reason for that. There was. There was a very good reason for why he was not one of the main ones. Not everyone is like a creative force either. I mean, there are plenty of people who are like, I'm not good on my own, but if I have help, I do better. Right. Also, don't pass me by is fun. I like that one. Yeah. But anyway, so I'm not going to get into the firing of the original drummer, Pete Best, but I'm going to bring it up as a way to show you that Ringo didn't stand a chance when he joined the Beatles. Overall, Pete was not some kind of drumming prodigy. It's fi- he was great. He was fine. No one was calling him the best drummer in Liverpool, though. Right. But Peter was attractive and very well liked by fans, especially the pussy. Mm. Mm. He had a lot of liver pudlians <laughs> on him. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> so they took this, albeit pretty shady, firing very poorly, and were pretty pissed when Ringo took his place. 
Wah. Yep. So when he went to play with the Beatles in the beginning, many fans took to heckling the new drummer, and were, there were even a few fights and small riots that broke out. From the get-go, he was given the moniker as worst Beatles drummer without even really being given a chance. It's only been two guys. No, Pete, the worst. This is best fucking forever. Spinal Tap. Like, calm the fuck down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they didn't have anything else to worry about back then. I guess. I guess not. I guess not. Like, you know, post-war stuff just isn't in nobody's mind. I guess. No, Cold War. Fuck that. More worried I guess that about was just us. More worried about you know. Who the Beatles have as their drummer. But also, like, the Beatles are not creating any progressive rock-type opuses right now. They are creating I Want to Hold Your Hand. They're basically Herman's Hermits. They're basically Herman's (laughs) Hermits right now. (laughs) So, guys, like, I don't think Ringo needs to be this exemplary figure of drumming no he does not need to be exceptionally deft at percussion like neil pert no he doesn't have to be one of these people if he can keep a beat and you can fucking dance to it yeah he's doing his job yep. quite well quite well so i'm pretty sure <laughs> ringo is a good drummer but he's not for best. his for, <laughs> for his intended purposes he is a good drummer He's not flashy. No. Doesn't need to be. No. Especially because Paul and John are there up in front, and George to a certain extent, but they are up in front getting all of the attention anyway. Well, you know what? I'm going to address that. Let's look at his actual playing now. He may not be a virtuoso on the drums, but he's solid. He keeps impeccable time and by no means could be considered sloppy. Just the opposite. He's been known to be great at using his drums to fill songs with his own kind of like wall of sound. Again, I think the lefty stuff had a lot to do with that. Yeah. And here's where I find the strongest argument. And some may find this blasphemous, but fight me. If it weren't for Ringo, the Beatles would have never made it that big. Hear me out. They might still have just been a Liverpudlian pub band. They might. I don't think... We would have seen beyond like the initial Beatlemania. Yeah. And I have my reasons. Let me go from small to big. So listen back to their songs, especially at the beginning. His drums are an iconic sound all on their own. Can't Buy Me Love can thank its fast paced, high energy on Ringo's drumming. It's by no means complicated, but it brings together every element of that song in a perfect beat. And that's really like generally like. That's what I'm saying. Like his drumming fit the Beatles' initial sound perfectly. Mm-hmm. Is exactly what they needed. He also gets dumped on for not having drum solos, with people saying it's because he's not capable of them, uh-huh. and that's not true at all. He hated doing them because he felt they were gratuitous. He had absolutely no interest in doing. You don't it. have to have drum solos. I know. I know. It's a really fucking weird nitpick. That is the dumbest nitpick I have ever heard in my life. And he's a bad drummer because he won't do drum solos. No, no, he just thinks they're dumb. And in fact, Paul basically had to beg him to do that really fucking solid drum solo on the end mm-hmm. on Abbey Road. So he can do them. He just didn't want to. And. That's where I go into more important than even his playing. Ringo is just that person. He never wants to be the center of attention. He's happy to fill the creative void with his drum parts. 
he knows he's not going to write some deep opus of a song the way his bandmates would. He was just happy to help them create the best versions of their work. And any other drummer would be in the thick of their group's biggest fights. All right. Like trying to get Paul and John to step down, which wasn't going to happen. Poor George <laughs> is like trying hard enough to be like, can I please like just sing can a I couple of my really an, good songs? a word in edgewise? Like, just one? Just one. Yeah. So this would, they would have broken up way before their drug years. They would not have gone beyond like pretty boy band. Yeah. They would have just never seen their heyday, but Ringo helped to keep the peace. Like, 100%. And all the Beatles always would say to you, like, Ringo was kind of there to be the diffuser. Just let bro be the backbone of the band. He he was 100% the backbone of the Beatles. Like, figuratively and musically. And just let him be the backbone. And I think that is, honestly, a strong attribute to his talents. Like, you can sit around and tell me, like, oh, he's not a talented drummer. First of all, he is. But also, I think... Being a person that is easy to get along with and easy to work with and open to criticism and open to your creative ideas, which you're going to find out, like, Ringo is the only Beatle who can maintain friendships with all of them Mm -hmm. and takes all of their criticism seriously. Mm -hmm. Being able to have that aspect of yourself makes you a talented musician, too. That means he's probably the only one out of all four of them that is quite self-aware. Yeah. Because, honestly, the other three... Completely no. unself-aware. <laughs> Completely. Oof. Oof a doof. But yeah. So I 100% think Ringo is a fantastic drummer. Yeah. He is a crucial member of the Beatles. He's my favorite Beatle. Fight me. But also, I I honestly cannot recall, at least in their early um era, the Beatles having all that many solos. Like, mm-mm. Guitar solos, bass solos, I don't really That was more like their drug year. I call them their drug years, but they're actually the years that I actually really liked the Beatles Their Maharishi phase. Yeah, there were some sweet guitar solos Right, but like, not every genre of music requires or calls for a drum solo. (laughs) Like, really? Who who are you to make that kind of criticism? That is so stupid and juvenile. Just fucking stop it with that shit. For what it's worth. I am, like, literally offended by this. (laughs) (laughs) She is. She threw things. I am, like, so disgusted. For what it's worth, though, you get other amazing drummers down the road, like Phil Collins and Dave Grohl, who who were inspired by... Ringo Starr. 100%. So, come on. If you can't listen to, like, actual drummers that you respect saying that Ringo's good, I don't know what you fucking want. And I would say Genesis and Foo Fighters far more require drum solos than at least early Beatles ever did. Oh, yeah. So, shut the fuck up. Yeah, we fine. suck my dick and choke on it. Yep. Hey guys, I yield my time. <laughs> we're like maybe halfway through the episode and we've, we've <laughs> and already, already had the great debate. <laughs> and we're already like, suck my dick and choke on it. Fuck you. We're done. Yep. I yield my time. Except I don't. We have I more time. We have a lot, we have more. A lot more to cover. So outside of the Beatles, in 1965, Ringo married Maureen Cox, a fellow Liverpudlian who he had been seeing for the better part of three years. And this girl earned her stripes Dating one of the most desired men in the world was not easy. She had to hide in trunks after shows, and she had so many death threats that she had to quit her job as a hairdresser. Oh my god. Yeah. 
He proposed to her at the end of January, and two weeks later, they wed. And some were surprised at the speed in which they got married, only to stop and see, oh, she's pregante. <laughs> she's pregnant. <laughs> um, what year was this? 1965. So he's still, oh, like, in the wow. thick of the Beatles. Was he the first Beatle? Second. Who's- John. John, John yes. married Cynthia, like, pretty much in 62, I think. Yeah. And then it like, was Ringo. They got married before the Beatles got, like, super big. Like, right, right around the same time. Mm. Yeah. It's also not an easy marriage. Not with a Beatle. Despite trying to keep it secret, everyone found out about their honeymoon, and for its entirety, they were followed by reporters. And from the beginning, she and Ringo agreed for her to not do any interviews because she didn't actually want the attention. Mm. She's like, they nope. They did not keep it secret, and they did not keep it safe. Seriously. They did not heed Gandalf's warning. Yeah, Gandalf was hella pissed. <laughs> if they had read fucking Lord of the Rings, yep. they would have known. Well, you know what it is? Ringo's the Samwise. He's not Frodo. Oh. He's Wait, Samwise. which one's Frodo? Maybe George? He would have to be, yeah, because Frodo's pretty I mean, serious. If and you George go back, pretty serious. Yeah, if you go back to our Lord of the Rings episode, we do discuss the potential for the Beatles to yeah. be in a Lord of the Rings. Ringo movie. is definitely Pippin. Aw, oh yeah, and then I think George. No, George is supposed to be Gandalf. Or maybe John was Gandalf. You know what? This is this is so. Nope, we are not <laughs> talking not doing about the Beatles. This. We're not doing this. Together, they would go on to have three children, Zach in 1965, Jason in 1967, and Lee in 1970, not too long after the Beatles officially broke up. Zach and Jason are such 2000s American names. I know. It's Zach, like, just with a K. Z-A-K. Wow, that's so American. I know. You know what? Good for them ahead of their time. Seriously. 1969 was stressful for Ringo. His band was on their way out, and he landed in the hospital again due to intestinal blockage. Oh, no. Mm. Why always with the bowels with this man? He has a bad tummy. He probably had, like, Crohn's. Probably. Yeah, but they didn't know what the fuck Crohn's was back then. (laughs) He sure didn't. When he came out, he felt the need to jump back into the studio and do something creative. And after spending so much time behind the drums, he stepped out in front of them. And grabbed onto a mic and sang all 12 tracks for his first solo release, Sentimental Journey. He had help with some heavy hitters like Quincy Jones, George Martin, and even Paul. It was all covers with Ringo using songs from his childhood, mainly ones that were popular at family gatherings. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Cute. Some liver liver puds in there. Liver pud songs. Liver pud jams. <laughs> there you go. Overall, it had a lukewarm reception, with some calling it horrendous, but classy? <laughs> John said it was embarrassing, but George said he thought it was a great album. Oh, good for George. Yeah. He tried. He did. To Paul's displeasure, Ringo ended up being the first Beatle to release a solo album, with Sentimental <laughs> Journey coming out in March of 70 and McCartney coming out in April. Yeah, suck it, Paul. <laughs> Seriously. Sorry. <laughs> After their split, Ringo turned 30 in July, and the need for him to keep working was strong. He did not want to be known only as the drummer of the Beatles. He quickly went back into the studio and made another record, Beku of Blues. I'm sorry? Beku, like Mercy Boku, but it's Beku of Blues. So, that means like... Very much. Very much. Very much of blues. Very much of blues? That makes sense. Sure, it sure, does. Why not? <laughs> sure. 
He flew to Nashville to work with pedal steel guitarist Pete Drake on what was, for all intents and purposes, a country album. It was released at the end of September 1970, because this is the time where you release seven albums a year. Sure. And it was received with high praise, higher than its previous release. Critics and fans found Ringo to be quite convincing in a country music setting. So let me get this straight. He was like one of the first people to do like a crossover thing and have it be successful. Yeah. Suck it, Taylor Swift. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of pop idols, you're going to find out, took a page out of Ringo's book. Yeah. Yeah. Got another one later coming on. Mm. The former Beatles drummer kept up solid relationships with his band of brothers and would end up getting each of them to help him with his songs, and he was more than happy to work on their albums in return. He played drums on John's albums and even Yoko Ono's, meaning the days of him being really annoyed with her constant presence in the recording studio was just long and dead. He didn't care anymore. He was happy to be around them. Because that is what a healthy friendship looks like. He's like, you know what? No reason to hate on you anymore. We good. And also, Yoko didn't break up the Beatles. She didn't. The Beatles broke up the Beatles. Yeah. Except Ringo. He did nothing. (laughs) He seemed to have the strongest working relationship and closeness with George, playing on his records, performing at the concert for Bangladesh, and working together to create one of Ringo's biggest hits, It Don't Come Easy, which is a jam. I like it. But it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Ringo and Maureen were slowly growing apart, and they began to fight on the regular and were finding their marriage harder and harder to hold together. Oh, no. They tried buying um, uh, John and Yoko's old mansion called Tittenhurst Park. (laughs) Was it in Dingle? (laughs) Tittenhurst Park. Tittenhurst Park in Dingle and... Being liver puddly. Oh my god. This, just, this episode is ripe for giggles. Ripe for giggles. <laughs> they utilized the estate to the best of their ability. Ringo revamped the recording studio on site and renamed it Starlight Studios, where he would work on a lot of his own music to come. But let's be honest. If a marriage ain't working, buying a new house ain't going to be what fixes it. It's kind of like saying, oh, a pregnancy will fix this. A baby will make us last. A baby will make us closer. Mm -hmm. No, it's always the opposite. Yeah, you're just ignoring the problem. Yeah. And they weren't the only ones with issues. George and Patty were also reaching the end of their marriage. Mm. And ours... This is where our stories are going to coincide a bit. Yeah, this is... This is also where next week is going to come into... Well, this is a real Venn diagram Mm. right here. This is where all the tentacles get entwined. They really do. One night, while the two couples were sharing dinner, it came out just how closely related their issues were when George confessed to Ringo that he and Maureen were having an affair. stupid yeah george was sleeping with ringo's wife oh my god and eric clapton was sleeping with with george harrison's wife although i do think this was before patty like patty was attracted to eric but i don't think she was sleeping with him just yet they didn't get married until 1979 yeah there was this was this was so this was well before that but i think she was dating eric clapton for a while before and i don't i don't know if they if she cheated on george with him eric clapton's a piece of shit is what i found out that's for next week that's for next week uh upon this news the only thing ringo could say at the moment was quote better you than someone we don't know oh my god 
And that was it. This is such incestuous bullshit. That's exactly what George said at one point. Like, I think Patty had been like, what? Or somebody asked him, or maybe it was an interview. I can't remember. Somebody asked him, like, why are you doing this? He's like, incest. Yeah. And that was <laughs> Because they're rich and they're bored and they have nothing else to do. Drugs? I don't know. I'm not even going to give them that. <laughs> I'm not even going to give you the drugs. No. Because, like... At this point, I don't even think drugs were even that. No, they weren't big of a of a factor in anything. So, I'm just gonna say they're rich and they're bored. Yeah, but, you know, at what? least when it comes to George and Ringo. Yeah, because like Paul and John were like bonkers doing their other shit, mm-hmm. trying so hard to one up each other mm. musically hey, hey. and on the charts. That's so. for later in the month. This is later. I'm just saying. Yes. These are all little... Honestly, George, this is a big old preview episode. George and Ringle Dingle had nothing else to do but fuck, fuck each, each other's, other's wives. wives. All right. And then put Eric Clapton in there for some reason who doesn't deserve any anything. No. Period. No. So, um, anyway. This was all happening in 1973, right around the time he should be celebrating the success of his latest album, just titled Ringo, which would be his most successful release. Reaching number two in the U.S. and number seven in the U.K. Oh, wow. And also containing some of his biggest hits. Photograph and You're 16 were number one in the States. Uh, You're 16? I'm sorry. What was that one about? It was a cover. Somebody else's song. I looked it up and I couldn't find anything interesting. And and honestly, at this point, I was real burnt. (laughs) I was like, I, you know what? I can't even deal with what it's about. Honestly, I was like, I can't. I can't right now. It's really where I was. Because honestly, at this point, if every song we look up isn't about underage fucking, then it's about beating your girlfriend. Yeah. So, great. Yeah. I don't want to know. I was just tired. Yeah. <laughs> so tired. I just don't want to know. Just go walk away from that one. <laughs> Instead, he was crushed by the blow just given to him by his wife and one of his closest friends. Ringo decided to take some time for himself and fly to L.A. to hang out with other musicians of note, like Keith Moon, John Bonham, Harry Nilsson, and John Lennon, who was also going through marital issues with oh Yoko, because this is when he was preoccupied with May oh Pang. Oh my god, this is like... Yeah, this is exactly what you think it like is. That is just like a circle of doom. Oh my god, okay, so... I'm glad Ke- that I said all those names and you're like, this is doom. Keith Moon. Yeah. John Bonham. Yeah. And Harry Nielsen. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Maui wowie. To be a fly on that wall. No. That, f- that fly is going to get some kind of disease. Oh, my God. No, it's just going to die gonna of, like, it's gonna drown heroin fumes. It's going to drown in alcohol. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. I'm glad that that made an effect on you. The idea that all of these people were in the same room at the same time <laughs> at some point in history... Mm blows my mind they were all very good friends understandably (laughs) yes very i under i see the link between all of these people yeah there's a reason why they're all dead almost all of them yeah yeah oh all of and a lot of them tragically Mm. all of them tragically you see where i am right now wolf ripperoni okay I mean, it totally makes sense that he's like, yo, I'm going to go to the Doom Troop. <laughs> but it's also probably not the best movie could have done. Doomer Troop. The Doom Troop, for <laughs> sure. One of Ringo's growing issues and a big cause for a lot of the fights in his marriage coincided with the company he was keeping and the drinks they were filling with each other. 
He was on a one-way road to alcoholism, baby. Uh, mm. I feel like this is kind of late in the game, but okay. I mean, you know. No, I think this is exactly where it should happen. Because he was like way more into hallucinogenics when he was in the Beatles. True. And, like This is the beginning of his solo career. This is perfect. At some point in the 70s, a club was formed called the Hollywood Vampires, started by Alice Cooper and contained the members that I have just previously mentioned, as well as Mickey Dolenz, Joe Walsh, and many others. <laughs> Your face. I almost wasn't going to say this tidbit, oh but God. like I needed it after your reaction. Also, isn't that the name of like Johnny Depp's band now? Yeah, but he definitely stole that from uh, these guys. There's so many layers to this, and all of them are gross. I mean, we're going to take showers after this. It's oh fine. Oh, my God. It's fine. In L.A., with the company he was keeping, still feeling the burn of his wife's betrayal, it was only a matter of time until Ringo ended up with his own share of extramarital affairs. Mm. And once Maureen discovered he was stepping out, the marriage was done. There was no saving it. But I'm also kind of like, but you started it, so why are you so upset? <laughs> Hold up. It's fine if you cheat, but like when Ringo cheats, you're hurt by it? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I, I digress. I'm not getting into that. Despite the very much so downward spiral he was having, Ringo was still busy AF making music. He and Harry Nelson developed a very close friendship and would work on albums together for years to come. I didn't know who Harry Nelson was. Yeah. Until I looked up. Everybody's talking about him. <laughs> I'm like, that's him? This is the guy who's got a huge drug and alcohol problem that Ringo, yeah. all right? He's also, he also did. I can't live if living is without <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. He also did, Um, for some reason, the tune ex- escapes me now, but <laughs> it's the one that kept playing over and over in the show Russian Doll. I never saw Russian Doll the fuck is the name of that song i'll let you sit on that let me sit on it in 1974 ringo released goodnight vienna which had a gotta get up gotta get out gotta get (laughs) that one it's that one i know it's like yeah that one (laughs) i'm sorry gotta get up gotta get out (laughs) you know that one Okay. I'm sorry. It came to me. Had to interrupt. Had to interrupt. In 1974, Ringo released Goodnight Vienna, which had a generally favorable turnout, reaching number eight in the U.S. Named after Liverpool slang for It's All Over, one has to wonder how deep into a depression the man was on the inside, Mm. because clearly he was not showing it to anyone else. As his drinking got heavier, the music quality became less. Later in his life, Ringo would be asked about this time, and he would claim that he and his friends, quote, weren't musicians dabbling in drugs and alcohol. Now we were junkies dabbling in music. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say that's a big yeah. Yeah. Considering the group he was hanging out with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah, not a good time for anybody. Considering a good chunk of them died from drug and alcohol overdoses. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that's a pretty um, hardcore group of friends you got there, Ringo. Literally. Hey, Ringle Dingle. Gonna... Might want to think rethink your group of friends there. He didn't. <laughs> In 75, the Beatles' official dissolution was declared, which left the members finally collecting in on finances that were held until all the legalities were finalized. 
This left Ringo with a hefty sum of cash, but him not really wanting to pay them big British taxes. So this is where he decided he's going to buy a home in Monte Carlo so he could live half the year there and avoid that pesky problem. And he basically became like a tax evader. In Monte Carlo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. It works. You know, if you don't want to pay that tax man... Ah, they had that song, Tax Man. Yeah, but that was a George Harrison song. Either way, But also, like, George Harrison felt the same exact way. All of them did. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that all the Beatles had, like, part-time homes in a lot of places. Quote, unquote, part-time tax evaders. Mm -hmm. Too bad he was having other problems, like drinking and partying, finalizing his divorce to Maureen, traveling a lot with his new girlfriend, model-slash-photographer Nancy Andrews, and gambling. Those are actually going to eat your funds up really quick, too. Mm. Probably quicker than taxes. Yeah. And actually, just to make note, his girlfriend Nancy was a great photographer and took a ton of pictures, and like a lot of 70s and 80s pictures you see of Ringo are taken by her. Yeah. And like she actually did a lot of his um, album art as well. But also, like, maybe pick, I don't know, one vice and mm-hmm. just go with that. You know, I've picked drinking. Same. That's mine. Yep. I really go hard on that. Yeah. And pretend like it's a legitimate hobby. <laughs> um, we don't and drink like, the same thing. We drink different things every week. That's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, it's a I, hobby. I'm really into craft beer and it's cider. It's called craft. It's called craft. Therefore, it is not an addiction. Right. Um, but, but like, like, can you imagine adding like gambling? Yeah, and like a drug habit, Ugh. and like I don't think I could keep up with the drug living habit. a a level of existence that I can't afford. Yeah, and also like being okay with paying taxes. Yeah, <laughs> um, mm, probably can't afford that. No, can't afford that lifestyle. But we also weren't a beetle. Yeah, that same year he created his own label called Ring O Records. It's Ring. Oh, Apostry Records. Um, okay. He signed around 11 artists to it, hoping to try his hand at supporting other artists while still managing his own work. Unfortunately, it would only be around for about three years and would be dissolved in 78 after failing to have any commercially successful artists. On account of the drinking. No, just, he, I just don't think he was... I don't think he do gave a shit. No, yeah, no. The 10 years or so following 1975 are going to be the hardest for Ringo, so buckle up. The man once viewed as the cuddly beetle was beginning to let the crack show. His alcoholism was getting out of hand. Failing to have a hit song for a few years, while his former bandmates seemed to be doing great, wasn't helping either. And he shocked everyone one day in 1976 with a new look. A shaved head, clean-shaven face, and most upsettingly, shaved-off eyebrows. I'm sorry, why? Well, he initially told everyone it was because the weather in Monte Carlo was so hot. But later he would admit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have never been so warm that I felt the need to shave off my eyebrows. <laughs> that makes the sweat go in your eyes. The eyebrows are there, so the sweat does not go in your exactly. eyes. Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you shave the eyebrows, the sweat goes in your exactly. eyes. Exactly. Yeah. There's reasons why you have eyebrows. Yep. Okay. But, okay. But, okay. You know what? Okay. I'll I'll ride this train. Well, I'm, I'll ride I'm gonna... this dingle train right to Ringoville and see how this works. Well, out you've for now him. arrived in Ringo- Ringoville. Ding ding. 
The doors are watch. The doors, doors are, are opening. opening. <laughs> Beware opening and closing doors. Mind the gap. He would later admit to much darker reasoning. He was quote feeling vaguely insane and drinking some new drink. It was a time where you either cut your wrists or you cut your hair, and I'm a coward. He was drinking some new drink? He just was, like, saying I was drinking a drink and, like, something new. It okay. hit me harder. And then he was like, I'm either going to cut my wrists or cut my hair. I'm glad he chose hair. I'm glad he thinks he's a quote-unquote coward because otherwise we'd be missing on a good guy. Yeah. He still had his friends, at least. He appeared in The Last Waltz, the Martin Scorsese doc about the band, and in 1977, he was featured in sections of the Who's documentary, The Kids Are All Right, alongside his buddy Keith Moon. And both were visibly drunk to the point where like, some people are like, it's kind of depressing to watch because they talk about needing their medicine. Yeah. yeah. I would say that's mm-hmm. kind of depressing. It is. But maybe it's also depressing because one year later, Ringo's friend Keith would be found dead in their friend Harry's apartment. Yep. He had overdosed on... Heminervin, a drug that he was taking to combat his alcohol withdrawal symptoms. That was Harry Nielsen's apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. You'd think this would make Ringo slow down, but nope, he was still going hard with his boozing and partying. It got to the point where he wasn't seen without his sunglasses to hide his bloodshot eyes. That's well, why now Ringo... It's be- now it's just because he likes his trademark. Now he's it's- like fucking Bono or some shit. His- <laughs> Except he's better than Bono. Yeah, and I feel like his sunglasses look nicer than bono's because he doesn't do that like wrap around douchey blue tint or the douchey red tint Mm. and claims he does that because he has glaucoma bono might actually have glaucoma (laughs) he might actually do that but that's not why he wears those sunglasses you're right anyway so i'm surprised it took this long but in april 1979 at the age of 39 his body finally decided to fight back He went to the hospital complaining of terrible stomach pains and then found out that there was residual damage from the peritonitis he suffered as a small child. Oh, Mm. I'm sure that alcohol didn't help very much. No, I bet it didn't. In order to prevent further damage or death, they removed five feet of his intestines. Oh my God. Right? Wow. I know. Understandably hating hospitals, he managed to get himself discharged a few days later mm. and was found celebrating not too long after mm. at the wedding of Eric Clapton and Patty Boyd. Oh, no. Mm, yeah, they all went. Having a big old party. <sighs> Ringo. Yeah. Wrinkle Dingle, what are you doing? <laughs> Music was not Ringo's only passion. He was trying his best to make it in the big picture biz, too. He had some memorable roles in Beatles films, Mm -hmm. but in the 70s, he was actively getting parts in movies. Some successful, but mostly bombs. Oh, no. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily due to his acting. He had received much praise for his role in That'll Be the Day as a teddy boy bandmate in a 50s rock band, very reminiscent of his time with Rory Storm and Hurricanes. I was going to say, that's not very far off from... He he doesn't have to pretend very much. Right. For that role. Exactly. And then he he did say, like, he did feel it hit a little too, too close to home, so when there was a sequel, he didn't want to do it. Mm. But you know what? That was night and day compared to him playing a Mexican bandit in the movie Blind Man, <sighs> complete with a terrible accent and horrible <laughs> script. And this was is he wearing need... a poncho and a sombrero? No. Oh, thank God. I don't think he was. <laughs> so, Okay. You need to look up the trailer for this movie, Blind Man. It's fucking awful. It's about, like, a blind, hired cowboy who's trying to rescue 50 mail-order brides from Mexican bandits that stole them. 
This sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie. I bet he loved this movie. He probably wants to remake it. I bet he's probably currently remaking it. COVID be damned. (sighs) But if it weren't for his attempts at a movie career, Ringo never would have met his wife, Barbara Bach. They both starred in the Carl Gottlieb slapstick comedy Caveman. It's pretty 80s and dumb. Like, it's super dumb, but there are claymation dinosaurs. Uh, it did nothing to give Ringo any boost in his acting career. <laughs> it sounds like it. But he met that babe of a wife he got, so I guess that's something. Now, hold up. Nancy had been Ringo's main squeeze for six years, and they had talked of engagement and marriage, but it never happened. And I mean, once he met Barbara, it was never going to happen. He and Nancy weren't even really going all that strong at that point anyways, but she was still pretty devastated when it was over. So devastated that she filed a palimony suit against him, one that she did not win. And I did not know that palimony was a thing. Palimony? You can sue someone if you weren't married, but like their lifestyle covered yours, basically. Kind of like... Like a domestic partnership thing. But I think that's a hard fucking case to prove. Yeah, like, what's it called when, like, you've been in a relationship for so long that you're basically married? Domestic partnership. No, it's Isn't something it? else. It's something like, ugh, what the fuck is it called? I God damn know. it. I'm sorry. Everyone's probably screaming at me, but now I can't remember. <laughs> I'm going to remember it in the middle of something you're saying. Okay. <laughs> I will wait for you to shout something out. I'll be like, what? Things seem to be pretty positive overall, though, for Ringo. For a bit here. He was very much in love with Barbara and getting back to working with his old friends, Paul, George, and John. Common law marriage. I fucking hate you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Common law marriage. Yes. He was getting ready to make another record, and he and John seemed especially excited about their collaborations that he was going to put on the record. Mm -hmm. Super pumped. But, once again, Ringo was hit with a heavy blow in December 1980 when Barbara's daughter called them to tell them that John Lennon was shot and killed outside his home. Absolutely shocked by the news, he called his ex Maureen to tell her, who just happened to have John's ex Cynthia visiting at the time. Oh, God. And it was with that that Ringo actually had to break the news to Cynthia. Oh, no. Yeah. He went to the full grief tour mode, and he and Barbara immediately flew to New York to be with Yoko during this time. I mean, it was kind of cathartic for Ringo, because he felt like he lost a brother with the death of John. Yeah. So I think grieving with Yoko was good for both of them. A little bit after John's death, Ringo goes back. He's completing tracks for the upcoming album, and he decided to shelve the two songs from John. Life Begins at 40 and Nobody Told Me. He just feel it, it wasn't right to do it. Was this for his solo album? Correct. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he decided not to use the songs he was working on with George, or John, excuse me. Probably too painful. Mm-hmm. John's death would come to effect every Beatle member in one similar way. Death threats. Oh. Yeah. Soon after, it was as if every jackass wanted to scare one of the remaining Fab Four. Ringo took to having bodyguards around him and Barbara at all times in L.A. People are such jackasses. all of them. Like, Paul and George had them, too. It was like people came out of the woodwork to be like, I want to kill a Beatle, man. I want to be an asshole. Yeah, that's that's actually what they were saying. Ringo was always the one who was asked about a Beatles reunion. It was endless, and after a few years, he found his patience ran very thin with any reporter who asked him that. 
people would constantly he'd immediately say i'm not here to talk about the beatles and people like so beatles getting back together like, what the <laughs> fuck did i just say and it wasn't very different after john was gone either he and barbara were scheduled to be on barbara walter's oscar special that's very confusing Wait. he and his wife barbara okay this is very confusing barb i'll call her barb he and barb were scheduled to be on barbara walter's oscar special to discuss caveman which was opening soon and inevitably it turned into an interview discussion of john's death which of course was a hard topic for ringo and but one- also barbara walters was kind of a that's what she does that way no yeah you know what I don't really like Barbara Walters. I don't either. Barbara Walters is kind of She's a dick like, bag. oh, does this hurt your feelings? I'm going to poke you in it. Yeah. Like, oh, you didn't want me to talk about this. I'm going to You didn't talk want about me to. This. I don't know. No, she's not British like Baba Walters. She's Wolf like, is. no, she's, she has the Fraser accent. Oh. Or she's American, but she's posh American. Uh, she's go fuck herself American. Yeah. And at one point, with tears in his eyes, he actually points to the camera and asks it if they turn it off because it upsets him and he doesn't want to talk about it. And she's like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Such a bitch. Like, honestly, Barbara Walters is a huge bitch. I don't support that. But happier news did come out of that interview when he announced that he and Barbara would be... He and Barb, not Barbara Walters. <laughs> it does get confusing. It does. Would be married later that year. No, it's he and Barbara Walters. He's not marrying Bar- like, that bitch, Barbara Walters. I fucking hate your interview style. <laughs> but I'll marry ya. <laughs> Meanwhile, like, Barbara Box, like, I thought we were gay. Okay. Oh, he mixed up his Barbara's. Uh, he mixed up his too many Barbara's. He's, t- he's walking Barbara Walters down the aisle. And she comes out and throws her out of the way. Wrong Barbara. It's <laughs> the wrong Barbara. The 80s was a wild ride for everyone. 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 Including us who were, we were born. babies. I mean, like, it, was a, it was like a water slide world coming out of our mom's vaginas. I don't know. It was wild. Crazy times in the 80s. So, yes. Ringo was no exception to this. He spent time in Memphis working with Chips Moman on another country album. But at this point, he and everyone involved spent more time blotto than sober. And in the end, he actually had to use a court order to stop Chips from releasing what would inevitably been an insanely embarrassing album. Oh, no. He, like, barely remembers it. He's just like, I know we were insanely drunk and lots of poor choices were made. That Oh, my God. Can you imagine if, like... Granted, there are very few and far between times when I have been so drunk that I don't remember things. But just imagine if all of those things were collected and put on one no. CD nope. or vinyl no. record. And somebody was like, I'm releasing this to the world. Oh, my God. Just imagine. I don't even want to watch my most embarrassing. I don't even want to know imagine what I did when I was blackout. all your embarrassing moments. Imagine all <laughs> your blackouts. <laughs> Captured for the world to see. <laughs> no, that's for later. Anyway. So, on the complete opposite side of that spectrum, though, in 1984, the creators of Thomas and Friends... A children's show based off the railway series books by Reverend Tank Engine. (laughs) Yes, the Tank Engine. Fucking god! So excited about it, the fucking Tank Engine. Fucking ridiculous! I'm sorry. Well, they asked Ringo to voice the narration. This show became so successful in Britain that, of course, PBS needed in on that sweet, sweet action. 
why not Thomas the Tank Engine? Okay, sure. They liked his voice. <laughs> it's quite calming. This has just gone in places I didn't think it was going to go. <laughs> I'm excited. It's well, good. you do know it goes here because they created the show Shining Time Station. Yeah? Yeah, based off of the Thomas and Friends show. But here's the thing. In Thomas and Friends, he was just narrating. You didn't see him. And I guess, like, when they were showing this to American kids, like, I like it, but he sounds weird. (laughs) So what they did was they decided to make Ringo uh, an actual uh, character in the show. So they would put him in. So, like, the kids had a face with the name, and they, like, shrunk him down to this little size. We all watched Shining Time Station as children. Did you not watch Shining Time Station? I have never seen (gasps) Shining Time Station. Oh, Shining Time Station was magical. Is this with Thomas the Tank Engine? Yeah. No, that's terrifying, Maggie. No, it was so cute. I I mean, I haven't seen it since Mm. I was four, but I'm sure it was cute. That's terrifying. Anyway, so the point is, it became quite popular. Yeah, it still is popular. Yo, fucking at me if you guys know what I'm talking about with Thomas the Tank, with Shining Time Station. I know what you're talking about. I just never watched it. I didn't even know it was on when we were children. I thought this was kind of a new thing. No. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Sorry. I liked it. Anyway, well, in 1985, Ringo got to share the stage with his son, Zach, as part of The Rock Against Apartheid. See, his son became quite the talented drummer himself. Oh. Yeah, but they actually did not have a great relationship. Because, unfortunately, absentee dad begets absentee dad, and uh, he wasn't really much around for his kids, and also sea booze. We're going to talk about a lot of rad dads. Guys, like, get ready for rad dad city. Mm. And, like, Ringo even, like, Ringo won't sugarcoat it. He's like, I fucked up. I was not around for my kids. And Zach's like, I hate being the son of Ringo Starr because (laughs) because I play drums. But actually, Keith Moon was his godfather. Yep. And he taught him more than Ringo did. When Keith Moon... Teaches you more about drums than Ringo Starr. Ringo was very busy being drunk. I mean, so was Keith. Moon. I got nothing. I've got nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. He just hated England. I have no idea. Speaking of booze, it was in 1988 when things finally became too much for Ringo and Barbara's drinking problems. See, for years, it was escalation after escalation. They would drink too much, argue, and end up in slapping matches. They even got to the point where they were doing that in public, and people were like, are they fucking slapping each other? Some nights, Ringo would black out and trash the house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's when you have a fucking problem. It's not. It's no longer just a problem. It's a fucking problem. That's when appreciating craft becomes a problem. <laughs> that's when you're, 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 it's not a hobby anymore. That's yeah. just your lifestyle. Yeah. One incident was so bad, when he came to... He was told by the house staff that they thought the house was ransacked by burglars and that Barbara might be dead. What? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Ringle dingle. What did you do? I have no idea what the details are on it. But Ringo did say he looked at his wife and said, we need help. And they got themselves into the Sierra, the Sierra Tucson Rehab Center for their five week, five week program. Of course, leaving rehab is the truly scary part, but. Ringo was nothing but honest about his experience when asked about it and has since stayed clean and sober. He claimed the lost years and blackouts were just nightmarish and he doesn't want to have that happen again. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Right. So good for him. Good yeah. for both of them. Yeah, honestly, they've both like really turned over a new leaf. Good. 
that's a lot of where like his peace and love kind of stuff has come from too. Uh-huh. And so after years of failed music attempts and having to be called a passenger in the Beatles with no talent, someone came along to help him really find his niche. David Fishoff met Ringo in 89 and pitched to him an idea, a live super group to tour with. Oh. Ready to get back to business, he was on board for what would be known as Ringo Starr and his all-star band. And they to, the, to this day, they still tour. They certainly do. Yeah, they do. And they will have an ever-rotating cast of talent. He's performed with Joe Walsh of the Eagles, Clarence Clemens from the East Street Band, Rick Danko from the band, Todd Rundgren. Peter Frampton, Sheila E., Colin Hay, and I'm going to stop this list now because it's way too fucking long. There's a lot. There's a lot. And that's not even the guest spots. That's just the consistent tour people. These tours were hugely successful. People may not really care too much about Ringo's original songs to buy his albums, but they sure do like watching him perform with his friends. And the 90s were coming up Ringo. He still suffered some losses in 94, when his very close friend, Harry Nelson, died at the age of 52 from a weak heart due to all the alcohol and drug abuse he had suffered yeah. from decades before. And a year after that, his ex Maureen would also pass due to complications from leukemia. Mm. This spurred more creativity from Ringo, and he would continue to release solo music as well as collaborate with Paul and George, especially as the Beatles anthology was released in 95, which contains songs recently finished by the trio. I remember when that came out. Yeah, there was the songs that uh, John had started, and they basically finished it with yeah, him. And like people, That's the closest you're getting to the Beatles ever being together again. I remember people literally losing their shit over this, and this was definitely... People were just pooping in the streets. This was not a CD you could get on the columbia house nope for a penny de- 10 for a penny deal could not you had to pay full price for yeah, that that's just expensive too like even today it's still very pricey it was it was like what four discs more no, than that it was like, discs? i thought it was like 10 discs oh it might be yeah it might be like eight or ten the point it was is there's a lot of discs and a lot of money i think it came with like booklets and like pictures and all this shit so i mean it makes sense those moments really though became especially important because six years later Ringo would once again lose another brother. George Harrison would die of brain cancer in 2001. And if that wasn't enough, he was also dealing with at the same time with his own daughter, Lee, fighting her own cancer battle. Cancer all over the I place. I was fucking terrible. Fuck cancer. Yeah. But fortunately, she pulled through. I mean, oh, she good. was like late 20s, early 30s. So. Oh, shit. But like still, yeah, she had she had a lot of issues as well. Since the turn of the century... Ringo has taken any loss with great dignity. He is a spreader of the message of peace and love and still happily married to his wife, Barbara. Together, they are quite philanthropic, giving to charities while he performs many an event for charity as well. In 2008, he received some flack from fans when he abruptly declared he would no longer take fan mail or sign anything. Everyone was pissed. He's like, I'm not going to do it. Well, what do you want him to do? First of all, he did say, like, oh, I'm too busy. I can't do it. And people were like, oh, you're turning your back. But later on, like, it, people came to find out that he discovered people were selling shit online with, like, a forged signature of his. Because basically people would ask for him to sign something and they would forge his shit. Yeah. 
It's very easy to do. Yeah, that's what people do. And he once yeah. he like it was like it's like it's like your grandpa discovering the <laughs> internet. He was like, white people can do this. It's oh, like I don't like it's that. Like your grandpa. It's like Lars Ulrich discovering Napster. Oh, oh I don't God. like that. Yeah, it's kind of the same reaction, but like I also feel like less aggressive. He's just like <laughs> I don't. Know, I'm not gonna sign shit. I don't want my shit getting online. And so like people are like pissed about it. And it's like, eh. like who writes fan mail and like wants autographs anymore? Nobody. Do people like, still I'm do sorry. That? I feel like autographs are worth shit nowadays. Well, I just don't it care. I don't care about somebody's yeah, signature. I don't, I don't care anymore. Experiences mean more to me than somebody's signature. Yeah. Especially I would like, rather. I feel like I saw him and he signed something. It's like he wrote me back. I don't even know if he wrote it. I would rather. I feel like people would rather have like a picture with him now that they can post on Instagram yeah. because that is worth more mm. than anything he could possibly sign. True. 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 Or like. I would prefer to have a very rare pressing of a Beatles album than something signed by Ringo. Right. And, like, what are you having him sign? Is he just signing, like, a random photo? Or are you, like, you're not mailing a rare Beatles pressing to him to sign? Yeah. Like, a, a signed photo means nothing unless you own, like, an Italian restaurant in Staten Island. <laughs> it means nothing. Yo, I'm hungry. <laughs> Could go for some sketty right now. Oh, I could though. A good prosciutto, mm. some sopressata. Mozzadel. Okay. We're not doing this. Oh. We're not doing this. No gabagool. No. Right now. Twenty twenty one. No gabagool. <laughs> so at eighty years old, Ringo still makes his life about music to Yo, fit bitch his. Bitch is eighty. He just turned eighty last year. Oh, God. I know. He looks good. Good for him. Uh, but yeah, he still makes music to fit his lifestyle of peace and love. He is clearly a complex person who's made some big mistakes, but, I mean, he also seems to be generally on the path of doing the right thing. And it seems like he finally has come to a point of acceptance that he will always be remembered as a Beatle. But it also seems that people are seeing him more as his own person, too, so I think there's kind of a nice medium being Mm. hit here. He only spent eight years in the biggest band ever, but has seen success following those years. There's no way his name as a Beatle alone can account for that. I mean, how many other musicians have tried to do what he's done and failed and are still respected in their craft? Mm. I mean, Ringo's had a pretty successful solo career. I don't know. There's just so many bands out there from that era where you're like, they didn't do shit afterwards. Or, like, they've done stuff, but they're not remembered the way Ringo is. Even if people would argue that he hasn't had a successful solo career, you can at least say he's had a pretty fucking prolific solo career. He's had number one hits. He's had hit records. I'm going to say he had a successful career. I would say he had a successful career. And he had a... He was one of the few artists that still can tour on a yearly basis and yeah. sell out whatever venue. And he's 80. And he's fucking 80. Like, what the fuck? So, was he the oldest Beatle? Yes. He by was. just a few months, because John came after oh. him in October. Mm-hmm. So... And George is the youngest, so it was then Paul and then George. Okay. Yep. But yeah, like, fucking give the man some goddamn respect And you know point. what? He's fucking 80. He's still dyeing his hair and his beard, and it doesn't look weird. It doesn't. So, you know what? There you go. I think that's the top achievement. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and he those won. who do not identify, he won. He is the top Liverpudlian. Number one Liverpudlian, Ringle Dingle. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 
<laughs> Taking the stage. <laughs> Getting on that podium. The podium. The podium. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. In closing, to say he is untalented and a joke is not only wrong, it's just willfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. Ringo is a successful musician in his own right, and more importantly, he's doing it his own way. He's doing what he loves with people he loves. Good and for him. You can't beat that. You can't. And that's the story of Ringo Starr. And you know what, guys? It's all downhill from here. It kind of is. It's all downhill from but here. But it kind of so is. So you know what? We're starting the year off on a high note, just plunging ourselves into the depths of despair after yeah, that. I mean, like, and all the rest might be two-parters, let's be honest. It's probably going to be. So yeah. yeah. I might be able to do George Next week in one episode, we will see. It's going to be a surprise. Be another long one. going to be a surprise. Just like buckle up for long episodes, guys. Yeah. You're still working from home? No long commutes? That's okay. Do like, Just listen to like 15 minutes every time you do dishes. <laughs> you'll slowly learn about the Beatles. Yeah, it's going to take you a long time, but you'll do it. Yeah. But thank you guys for listening. <laughs> I actually genuinely hope like I could change some minds about Ringo. I yeah. hope that people come out of this feeling like they learned something. He legit might be the best beetle he is the best beetle i've been saying this for years yeah because you know what i'm ringo (laughs) i'm the ringo yeah i'm not gonna equate myself to anybody in the beatles (laughs) i'm not gonna do that you're like you know what i'm not the ringo but there's no fucking way in hell i'm gonna equate myself to john paul or george no way in fucking hell i'm gonna do any of that no you know what i don't blame you i don't mm, not gonna happen yeah i think i'm gonna find out things i mean all three of them are kind of toxic human beings. Yeah. So, and I also think we're gonna go in. We've got we're going into the series with certain ideals, and we're gonna leave with very different ideals. That's what we do all the time. Yeah. Go in with the starry-eyed naivety, or like pitchforks and torches, and then yeah. we come out and we're like, we always come out the opposite. Yeah. We're like maybe okay. Yeah. I think George will still be a little bit more lukewarm. <laughs> we're really just slowly dipping our toes, kids. Yeah. I might be pretty ambivalent about George, but we'll see. We'll see. You guys can find out next week when you come back for the next episode in our series of The Beatles Not As Beatles. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But yes, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Thank you for your reviews. Oh my God. Thank you for your reviews. We got two lovely reviews. Um,. Oh my god, I didn't pull them up, so I'm so sorry I forgot the names. It's like Chris and Amy are in both of these, yes. but I don't remember. But you guys left us lovely <laughs> reviews, and thank you so much. You guys like our dumb bullshit banter, and we appreciate that you like that. <laughs> we're not for everybody, but we're happy to be for you. Aw, that's See? a nice tagline. That's the real Ringo. That's the real Ringo <laughs> right there. Peace and love, peace and love. Mm-hmm. Wrinkle di- I'm going to wrinkle dingle them. Wrinkle dingle all over this joint. Can we make a shirt that says Wrinkle Dingle? Sure can. All right, we're doing it. Speaking <laughs> of which, you should go check out our merch. We have yeah, it. Yeah, we do. Hey, if you we want some... t-shirts, we got hoodies, face masks. We have leggings. Oh, yeah. Someday we'll post pictures of all this stuff. God, we are just so bad <sighs> at social media. We're sorry, guys. That was going to be something we were going to work on in 2021. Look. It's doing a bang-up job already. New Year, same us, guys. <laughs> Yeah. I hope you don't expect any changes. It's been the same for the last three fucking years. Yeah. So, yeah. hey. And, and speaking of that, there are three years of episodes you guys can go check out. If this is your first one, go ahead uh, to rockcandypodcast.com and 
go listen to more of our episodes. It's more of this with different artists. <laughs> so that's fun. So if you like this, then go ahead. If you don't, you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess. Like, I am not sorry. No, I'm not you... sorry. But like, you know what? Go live your best life. And then also you can check us out on social medias. We got, uh, what are those things? Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> and Instagram. You know, those things we're terrible at. And Yeah, we are. And then uh, slightly less terrible than us is probably our network, the Pantheon Podcast Network. You should go check them out for other rad podcasts about music. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to give us some of your hard-earned cash, if you got that stimulus check and oh you want to... And you're like, what do I do with all this like, all this money? How can I possibly stimulate the economy with this fat-ass $600 check? <laughs> You can be like, how about I give some of it to Rock Candy Podcast? And yeah. you can do that on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash rockcandypodcast. There are different tiers. You get different shit. We can give you some swag. Mm-hmm. We can give you some things. Get a bonus episode. And a bonus episode every month. Shout out. So, you know. That's, you Fun got shit. Good, you got good shit going on. So, we got a lot going on. New year. Same us. Exciting things. We got more Beatles coming up, so I hope you're into this. I feel like most people are oddly really obsessed with the Beatles. Yeah, I don't get it, but I mean, if but that's we're your also thing. doing it. Yeah, I don't get it. It's yeah. fine. You know what? It's gonna be interesting. Yeah. So join us next week for more of that. And until then, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. And party on, you crazy kids out there. Give them the old wringle dingle. <laughs> Wrinkle your dingle. <laughs> it's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.